Broadcasting live from 8-Bit Toronto, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Garrett Strother. I'm one of your other hosts, Seamus Connolly. I'm Ricardo, I'm a host. Also, I was going to intro myself as Dr. Movies this week, and I didn't do it because I, I lost Ooh. my mojo because I was up top. Oh man, well you gotta you gotta make Doctor Movies stick. You gotta change your social media <laughs> handles to at Doctor Movies. Hashtag Doctor Movies whenever you're gonna hit us up on social media. PhD. I was gonna say DDS because that's somehow funnier to me. <laughs> Doctor Movies, dentist at law. First off, because we cannot stop talking about this man, John M. Chu has been tapped to direct a wicked movie. How many times they've announced a wicked movie? And it's just not happened. I bet you this one will probably happen. But, I mean, sure. I think Wicked could be a good movie. I think John M. Chu's a good director. It sounds good to me, man. Yeah, I mean, I never got to see that show. Maybe maybe we'll take a pop culture reference outing to go see Wicked before this movie comes <laughs> out. And we'll do a little research. I would definitely love to go do a play for this show. Because it would... It would speak to the smallest amount of audience, but it would still be a lot of fun to go to a play. We'll have to see. But up next, speaking of musicals, kind of Zachary Levi, I guess, he's doing a live-action Harold and the Purple Crayon movie. Hell yeah. <laughs> you into that one, Ricardo? Let's do it. I don't I don't care, man. Let's let's go. Bring let's it. Let's just do Harold and all the Purple the... Crayon. It's a movie now? Sure, this is the world we live in. I mean, I loved the Harold and the Purple Crayon show on HBO when I was a kid. That was a great show. I remember liking but that show. I don't know how they're gonna I don't know how they're gonna stretch that into a movie, and I don't know is Zachary Levi like grown up Harold? Is he the narrator? Is he like Harold's dad? He's gotta be grown up Harold. It's gonna be gritty, it's just gonna be called Harold. <laughs> I'm not, you know, super into the live action remake culture. Shout out Diego Roman. But uh the weird <laughs> the weird live action remakes like this one, I'm in for cuz like I don't really see it coming. You know, they'll do a million Disney ones, but I won't ever care. If they're just going to start pulling weird ancient cartoons like this one and like doing them up, I think that's at least more interesting. You know, I, I know we have it in a different order in the Google Doc, but I think that if we're talk- going to talk about weird properties we're making movies out of, I think we should talk about Lil Yachty's new action heist film based on the Uno game. I love it. That, you know, there's uh, one man I would trust with this property. It's Lil Yachty. <laughs> I think he's really going to put the, the gravitas on the Uno name, truly. And we, mean, were, we were tossed around some ideas before the show, but here's what I got. I think, I think I've, I've cracked the code here. If it's a heist movie, we're doing it Ocean's Eleven style, we need a team, right? So each character needs their own specialty. So we've got, we've got reverse, we've got draw four, we've got wild card. I'm just saying, like, this is crack team that could be a lot of fun and just like really like that's just goofy there's also like the a world where it's like they're also kind of ocean style with like gambling in a casino but it's not poker it's just uno and they've got to like hustle uno to make their (laughs) make their money 
I want it to be Yu-Gi-Oh. Throw down <laughs> the cards and it's it's magic. They they the... come, they have effects. Okay, honestly, if we could get Robert Rodriguez to do an Uno movie based on that concept. Damn, there it is. That would be so good. Lil Yachty, get Robert on the phone. Is Lil Yachty directing this movie, or is he... Yeah, Lil Yachty's gonna be the lead, apparently. So he's wild card, obviously. He's, yeah, uh, he's gotta be. Well, let's keep going, because this next one is, is very strange. Chloe Zhao, director of The Writer and Nomadland, which was my rec center a couple weeks ago. She's also director of the upcoming Marvel Eternals film is going to make a Dracula film for Universal with a sci-fi western edge. So, I'm guessing that this is kind of a response to Invisible Man doing really well, and them seeing that these indie directors with their unique vision, where they're not trying to stuff a cinematic universe into anything, can actually, like, work. Yeah, man. I mean, if it's gonna be taking after... Just the mark of quality that the Invisible Man had with just, they're not attempting to make any big connections here. They're just trying to make a quality, interesting take on something like Dracula. I'm I'm excited for it. But yeah, I'm excited to see what Chloe Zhao does with this. She's definitely, I think, one of the most exciting directors working right now. Yeah, I, I'm all for it. And then we've got one last movie to talk about, which is that if Netflix can hear about it, they can greenlight it. They're working on a GameStop Wall Street story movie starring Noah Centineo, who is, I guess, from all the boys I loved before. It's Centineo. <laughs> Thank oh, you. Boom roasted. Noah, I know you listen to the show. I didn't want to. <laughs> oh, hurt he's, your feelings a, he's like a huge that. fan. No, Noah here. He's he's Netflix's golden boy. He's in a lot of their stuff. Leica is setting up a studio with Bowie State University in Maryland in an effort to bring diversity and young voices into animation. I think that is a really great system that I hope other studios start to follow suit and take notice. And I could also see Leica potentially, maybe if this goes well, being able to branch out to other universities, maybe even something like high schools. Good for them. I love Leica. Yeah, they never disappoint when I when I see something that comes out of their studios. And if the potential is there to, like you said, Garrett, really branch out and really find the best talent out there to, to produce good stuff to be seen, then I will be very happy to be the one seeing it. Our last bit of news, Ryan Coogler, director of Black Panther and Creed and Fruitvale Station and a bunch of other really good movies is developing a Wakanda TV series for Disney Plus as part of a overall 5-year exclusive Disney TV deal. That's awesome. I'm I'm very into that. Is it a 5-year exclusive deal just for this Wakanda series or is it just like he's going to be sprinkling himself around and stuff? He's developing multiple television shows it sounds like. Very nice, very nice. All about Wakanda? No, I think like that's just the starting point. Disney stuff. Disney's a big umbrella. He could be doing Nat Geo stuff. He could be directing episodes of The Mandalorian. He could be, you know, like, I don't think it's just necessarily he's show running all of these different, like, Marvel series. Mm. I think he could, he's probably going to bounce around and do different things. Man, that is um, a pretty sweet deal I'm for really Ryan excited. Coogler. 
Yeah, it sounds like a good deal, and I love his work, and I'm happy to see him get essentially all the funding he wants. Yeah, exactly. I have been pretty skeptical about the Marvel shows. I, I know I've been skeptical on the podcast, but I think there's so many rich, textured characters in Wakanda that I'm really interested to see each of them kind of get a little bit more fleshed out than you can do in a Marvel movie. And so I'd love to see all of these characters, especially dealing with whatever the resolution is going to be to Chadwick Boseman not being able to be in this universe anymore. I'm very interested to see what direction this takes and how all of these characters are going to be addressed and integrated. Yeah, man, I'm I'm right there with you. I'm very excited to see how, you know, something that is relatively newer in the zeitgeist. I know Wakanda and Black Panther have been around since like the 70s in the comics, but for like the great resurgence it's had and the amazing detail they put into it and all the the love and work that's gone into it. I'm I'm excited to see that touched on and worked out. Going to be excited to see what Coogler does with it. So, should we move on to our main segment? Yeah, I think that was some some good swift news, and now we're moving on. We are Sex Bomb, and we're here to talk about Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, the game, and stuff. One, two, three, four! (laughs) What a terrific intro, Seamus. Great job. Thanks, I'm real proud of it. But yeah, this week, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, the game, remaster, re-release. Like, they're calling it a re-release. I think it's technically a remaster. We'll talk about that during our pop culture reference of the episode, so... Yes, we'll come... Stay tuned We'll come back to that, but regardless, it is the complete edition with both rounds of DLC from the original game, which I think is very nice. I never got to try those out in the original days. Absolutely. We've talked before about the history of this game and how... It was only on the PlayStation and Xbox stores digitally for a few years before being discontinued. And then for the 10th anniversary of the Scott Pilgrim movie, Ubisoft was able to re-release it on multiple platforms, including PS4, PS5, Xbox, Nintendo Switch, and PC. And I think it's also on Stadia, if you use Stadia. Stadia, what up? I have... A personal history with this game, but this was the first time either of you had played it, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Mm-hmm. I'd always wanted to play it. What are what are some of your impressions after after, you know, finally getting your hands on it after it being gone for so long? It's a pretty standard arcade fighter. I mean, it's gorgeous. It has a lot of great Easter eggs. The sprite work is really detailed and good looking. And it really does feel like a standard arcade fighter like that is a compliment yeah like you know you could that's exactly what they were going feels for. like you could find that in a cabinet in an arcade somewhere with like four joysticks oh, yeah. it matches it's it's aesthetic perfectly yeah no doubt i'm sure somebody out there has already beat us to making a cabinet for this game i would love to see that oh yeah we i have to do some research i gotta find something like that because that would be so killer You'll link it on the socials, Seamus. That's what you'll do. And you'll and we invite you to share it with us on the socials. We're on Facebook now, too, so you can find us as a pop culture we reference are? page on Facebook. Yeah. We made it. We're in the big time. What? <laughs> of course, you can also tweet us at uh, PCR underscore podcast. That's probably the best way to get us pictures of those sweet Scott Pilgrim arcade cabinets. 
Yeah, man. So yeah, it's good. It's a good game. Um, I I mean, I will say, being a standard arcade game, like it does have a lot of repetitiveness, and it it feels a little bloated in some parts. Like I don't think it's a perfect game, but I think it is very good at what it's trying to accomplish. For as highly as I talk about this game, I'm not gonna say that there aren't a little bit of, you know, there's some problems that could be fixed. Trying to line up with enemies to hit them like ten times in a row. They can get really annoying. <laughs> but you know, it's like it's like a themed arcade game. You know, there's the the way that it's it's treated as its own independent Scott Pilgrim world. It, it feels very right in in everything else that Scott Pilgrim is between the books and the and the movie. With that fantastic Anamanaguchi soundtrack over it the whole time. For me personally, it's some music that I would never get sick of. You know, I know some people would just go crazy hearing that stuff over and over, but I, I don't know. It sinks me into some this trance. Chip tune. Yeah, it, it it hypnotizes me, man, and I love it. I do think the Gideon stuff gets a little grating. Like it's a lot of just the same over and over again. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, how far? Because we we played it together, but separately. How far did you guys make it in the in the old story there? Well, story if you can call it that. It's not really much. Of a I story. have not played beyond where. I mean, it definitely relies on you knowing the Scott Pilgrim story from another medium. Yeah, very much so. But I only played as far as we played together. However, I did make sure I went and you know researched the the multiple endings and ha- the rest of the gameplay and what the stages look like just because I wanted to be informed, obviously, for the show. Of course. The Roxy level. So about as far as we got together. Yeah, the, right right before the Robo Kati- Katianagi twins. Am I saying that right? Am I misremembering that? The Katianagi twins, Ooh, look yeah. at me. I'm going for the platinum for this one, which is getting a 100% completion on every challenge that you can kind of get with the game and it is very hard let me tell you i'm really i'm trying to push the limits of like you know hardest difficulties and speed runs and all that it's a lot of stuff we're going to have coming out very shortly a youtube video of us playing the first half of the scott pilgrim game the first four evil x's is going to be coming up as part of our new series pop culture replay exclusively on youtube please go check us out there I'm really excited about the work we're doing. If we get a good reaction, we're going to keep doing playthroughs. We're probably, no matter what, going to finish up Scott Pilgrim and release a part two. So if you want to see us, some of us be better than (laughs) others at video games, that is a great way to tell firsthand. Yeah, Scott Pilgrim. It's a good time. Yeah, a lot of fun. I definitely recommend... It was only $15... For such a, a classic, yep. there's a bunch of other game modes. Did you guys check those out yet? I did. I played the survival mode, the zombie Yeah, survival I checked that mode. one out too. That is incredibly hard. It's fun though. It's really fun. I bet you if we played it together, we could do a lot better at it. I, I don't know if you can play those together. I was looking I was looking around. and Well, obviously Battle Royale, you have to have multiple players. But I think that might just be on like, the couch. Because I, I think it's up oh, to four. Those are local co-op. I think they are local co-op, up to four players. Well, then next time we're all together, boys. We're going to get our gamer fuel and our Doritos. We're going to go hard. The multiple endings is something that I am fascinated by because all of them appear to be like visions to these characters, but it really goes into the whole, we've talked about this before, 
idea that Scott Pilgrim is this weird choose-your-own-adventure where there's so many different mediums you can experience that story in, and they all kind of complement each other, but they also kind of contradict each other. And I think it's so fitting that there is kind of this illusion of choice when you're playing the game, that you're like, oh, if I play as a different character, of course that character's desired outcome is the one that ends this journey. Yeah, that is... That is very strange, considering, like, the lack of actual story we were talking about before, and kind of how variable all the characters seem to be up until, you know, the very last moment of the very last level that decides what ending you get. And what are those endings? So, Scott's ending, which I think it's weird that it's not the the quote-unquote real ending, is that Ramona leaves, and... Scott starts dating Envy and Knives and Kim all at once. (laughs) And it ends with this, like, weird, kind of misogynistic, like, he was the luckiest guy in the world. Or was he? And I was like, okay. I I didn't think that as, like, a misogynistic dig. I thought, wasn't it like he was the happiest guy in the world? Or was he being like, he actually loved Ramona and he's not happy with his womanizing lifestyle that's what i took that as but i don't know it also just feels like and i know the whole point is that it's like it's not supposed to be like an actually satisfying ending and that it's kind of like this weird fantasy but it really to me contradicts the entire point of scott's arc from the books and the film which is like oh two-timing both of these women made made me a jerk and was bad to both of them. It just, it irks me a little bit. I know it's supposed to be just, like, funny and dumb. No, no, I, I get it. But it really does undercut that message. I definitely, when I beat this when I was younger, kind of had a similar reaction of, like... Because I had just seen the movie, it had just come out, and I was, like, obsessed with it at that point, And I was, like... They're, like, treading on the journey of Scott not being a person who... I don't know, has kind of a shameful life. I mean, like, I guess it's not shameful if they're all in, like, a consensual four-way relationship, I guess, but... I don't know. It's ve- it's just it's very a strange. strange one, for sure. And then we've got Kim's ending, where it makes it at first seem like she's going to end up with Scott, but then she and Knives walk off into the sunset together. I thought that was nice. Yeah, that's a fun ending. Is there any basis for Kim being queer in the books because i i don't think there's any subtext for that in the game or the movies up until or uh, the movie up until that point that it happens in the well, game am i ending. crazy or is the knives power up move for kim they kiss each other and it like stuns all the bad guys oh it, really? i, I haven't that. played, I haven't as, played her, as kim but i feel like i remember that being like for the female characters when you're you hit your little knives button that happens instead I th- I don't a think little, there's any like that's real. Also a little weird. Yeah, that is sure. weird. But I don't think there's any real standing for something like that ending in the books, as far as I remember. It's a fine little ending, yeah. all the same. Stephen Stills, of course, he's all about the band. A gig is a gig is a gig is a gig is a gig. Of course. It's all about Sex and Bob being the best band. It's a little weird they didn't bring in his queer stuff from the books either. But I mean, hey, it's they they chose they picked and chose a lot of weird stuff for this game. Also, real quick, I want to talk about. Just because I'm thinking about Sex and Bomb. There's so many good gaming Easter eggs in this oh, game. God. And I know I'm not a hardcore gamer by any means, so I'm sure I'm missing tons of them. But, like, the Mega Man stuff, 
the fact that you can throw turnips like in Super Mario Brothers two, the fact that you go into subspace like in Super Mario Brothers two. Yeah, man, mushrooms and stars and pipes, all Mario stuff. A lot of this, mm-hmm. like in Super Mario Brothers exactly. two. Exactly. A lot of the shops have items that are like you know the last fantasy instead of Final Fantasy or something or yeah. like. Speedy Hedgehog. I think you'll find it's the never-ending never fantasy, fantasy. That's what it is. Yeah, they, they really crammed a lot of fun stuff in there. Lots of Sonic references, even though I'm not a big Sonic guy. I caught some of those, including the box art for the physical edition on the Switch has Scott in a, like, Sonic pose. Oh, yeah, that's right. The iconic Sonic pose. So the last of the main characters, the ones that didn't come in the DLC originally, is Ramona's ending, which is the quote-unquote real ending, where Ramona and Scott go off together on their own, live presumably happily ever after. Great. Then, DLC endings, we've got Wallace. He doesn't get any text or anything, it's just him sitting on the stage at the Chaos Theater in a throne while confetti falls Oh my god, him. he's the new Gideon <laughs> Lord of Power. I love it. I guess, makes yeah, sense. Yeah, sure, he's the king of Toronto now. Knives and Scott get married in Knives' ending, and Scott's not so sure about it. Oh. And then there is, and I don't know how you unlock Nega Scott, but there's a Nega Scott ending. Oh, what? How do you unlock that? I beat the mm-hmm. game on Grandmaster. You'd think that would have unlocked it for you, but... Let me look it up. So, unlocking Negascott, you have to beat the game a minimum of four times, and you have to use a different character. So, Kim, Scott, Steven, and Ramona each uh, time. Damn. You gotta use everybody. Damn. Well. And so, Negascott's ending is he takes over the universe and sends everybody to work in the salt mines. Oh, that's great. I love that. <laughs> Those Toronto salt mines. They're the salt mines of yeah. Toronto. <laughs> Oh, man, I li- that's fun. Like you said, these endings seem more like little blips of fantasy what-if than anything else, which I guess is what they're based on, considering that they didn't really have endings to work with for each character. I think that is a very fitting, formal choice for Scott Pilgrim as this kind of bizarre, mega-story, multi-medium franchise. Scott Pilgrim is able to combine all of these mediums, and bring in elements of them into each other. Comics, video games, and cinema. And I think it is a fascinating, overarching story. Yeah, man. It's it's bizarre, but it feels good when you definitely get your like your full experience through all three mediums. I think you guys gotta get your hands on the books. I've decided that I want to get the... I want to hunt down those like really nice color, hardcover, special editions of them to just have because they're so good. Once you guys read the books and we can do like a full Scott Pilgrim extended universe talk, I think that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'd love that. I really would. Anybody have anything else to say about this very solid um, game? Oh, yeah. No, I think we covered it. Play it. It's on the PlayStation Store or whatever it is you're using. It should be around $16. Also, before I forget, I'm remembering correctly, at the very end of the credits of the movie, the Scott sprite from the game shows up on screen and collects the coins from the game at the very end, right? Let me look it up real quick. I've got that Like, I'm pretty sure you would never really... You wouldn't get the reference unless you played the game, because it's straight, like, 
pulled from the game, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it says the end, and now Scott is bashing it. He even used his super move from yes. the game. And then he, yeah, it's exactly Scott from the game. So he comes in, bashes up the the end logo, uses his super move where he punches in the air, then or all the coins fall around him, and then he does his like Mega Man teleport away, just like he does at the end of a level. So they they were weaving a man all the way back then. They came out in like the same week, and they were just I don't know. It it feels extra good now that whenever you finish that movie and that comes up, you'll be reminded of how good this game is. Hard recommend on this one. Ten out of ten. Well, maybe not ten out of ten. Hard recommend though. It like eight and a half out of ten. Maybe high marks. 8-bit out of 10. Got him. Hey, we got him. Done it again. Oh, my God. For today's pop culture reference, we're going to be differentiating between the idea of a game remaster, a game remake, and a game re-release. In honor of the Scott Pilgrim vs. the World Complete Edition re-release, which I think technically qualifies as more of a remaster than a re-release. And breaking that down a little bit, a game remaster, it's often associated with a re-release or is confused with a re-release, but it's basically taking the same assets of a classic game that still has a lot of popularity, repolishing all those assets to, you know, liven them up a little bit and give them somewhat of an update and then using that opportunity to re-release it back into the public that is still, you know, still a big fan base for it. Essentially, a remaster is a way to make a game run optimally for a new audience. And they do that without having to completely uh, rebuild the game from the ground up. Whereas a re-release is pretty much just like, oh, here's the game from the PS2, we ported it and put it on the PS3, and here you go, like there it is. And then both of those versus a remake proper, a remake, we're seeing that a lot more now because of the generations of consoles growing and the processing power. Yeah, I was about to say, are there many of those? Remakes? Well, I mean, uh, Resident Evil 2 and 3 are some pretty prominent remakes that just came from Copcam. That's what Uh, I was about to say. Capcom, not Copcam. There's also the Shadow of the Colossus got a remake on the ps4 a couple years ago that was very very good but yeah they are in general more recent things i'm sure there are examples like i mean arcade games definitely when they made made the jump to home console would have been a remake oh yeah absolutely you know they wouldn't have been marketed as such it just would have been now you can play donkey kong at home yeah like remakes are as old as home consoles technically but now the branding of remakes is a very recent development i'd say like Final Fantasy Oh yeah, Final VII, Fantasy Seven remake. The remake that just came out. That was pretty big too. Yeah, I played that. It's pretty pretty dynamite. So yeah, it's just all kind of relative, and definitely there are a lot of things that blur the line between like remake and remaster or re-release and remaster. Because Scott Pilgrim, the game, most people are calling it a re-release, even though I definitely think it falls under the idea of a remaster, where you're polishing it up and throwing in the DLC for free, like. That feels much more. Oh yeah, I totally agree to with that one. Especially because a lot of games are kind of becoming their own remaster too, because I I've got my PS5 right, and I've got God of War and uh, Jedi Fallen Order and Rainbow Six Siege, all PS4 games that are getting patches to make them run better on the PS5, run in 4K, run at 60 frames per second. 
So, in a way, that is also kind of a remaster within its own That's game. That's true, so we're going to definitely start seeing more remakes from properties that can't be uh, optimally ported over through that backwards compatibility. We're going to be seeing stuff from, like, the PS1 era make a resurgence through remakes that the company that owns it can't necessarily re-release it to the hardware that we have now. So yeah, what's your favorite game remaster or remake? Let us know on social media. Email us at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. Tweet us. Message us on Facebook. You know the drill. Let us know. We'll shout you out on the show. That being said, let's move on to our pop quiz. Pop quiz. Seamus, he's back in the game after last week. He's still behind at four points with Ricardo six, but he is catching up. And because he won last week, Ricardo, it is your turn to pick the category. So here are your options. John M. Chu or Harold and the Purple Crayon. Harold and the Purple <laughs> Crayon. All right. All right. You guys know how it works, but for those of you playing along at home, Whichever one of you gives me the correct answer first gets the point. If you say it at the same time, or neither of you know the correct answer, we move on to our tiebreaker question, which will be the other category. That being said, let's go with our Herald and a Purple Crayon question. Who was originally attached to an unreleased 2010 feature film adaptation of Herald and the Purple Crayon? John Cena. Say Finn Wolfhard, but not him, the kid with no teeth. You guys are not gonna get it. I thought I thought one of you might What's know the answer, it offhand. Though? Will Smith. That's insane. What, what is? All right, okay. Like he was producing on it and he was attached to it. I'm guessing they were in development for like a Jaden father son. Yeah, you know, it was gonna be like show, that one really that sad happen, movie, but so. Harold and the Purple Crayon. All right, well we we flubbed that one. Okay. Tiebreaker, John M. Chu. What are all the announced projects John M. Chu is working on that we have discussed in the news segment of this show? <laughs> Wicked. Lilo and Stitch, Wicked, uh, In the Heights. I don't I know if that counts. I only remember Wicked because we just talked about that. Pretty much, Ricardo, yeah. you got the point no matter what because you got Damn all it. three of those right off the bat. But I want to hear you get the last one. Uh, there's another Lilo one? Stitch, Wicked. Yep. Step up again. Isn't he doing a Marvel movie? (laughs) Oh, man. I don't think I know this one. It's fine. It is the Willow reboot series. And he actually stepped away. So the optimal answer there would have been In the Heights, Lilo and Stitch, Willow, and now Wicked. But... You, be- you better well, get good, man. If we set a limit of where we're getting to, then I can have an epic comeback streak. I, I-, I was pretty excited to put a little meta one uh, in there. See how much you guys are really well, paying attention. Wicked was the only one I knew, so I was paying attention today. I'm always paying attention to John M. Chu. Now it's time for WandaVisionaries, where we break down the latest episode of WandaVision. This time we'll be talking about episode 5, a very special episode. As always for WandaVision, full spoilers ahead, folks. We are getting into a doozy of an episode. Yeah, they're finally revealing more stuff. Things are getting crazy. It's, <laughs> it's all coming together. Yeah, like everything we've been theorizing is finally... We're getting, we're getting somewhere here, and 
Garrett, I know you were talking a little bit before about your skepticism, as it were, for these Marvel shows and how WandaVision has kind of been progressing. What, what did you think about this new one? You know, I'm pretty engaged with it now. Since we have characters that are more grounded and I understand better what they are wanting and the plot is a little bit more, uh, it has stakes to it now, I'm much more invested. I still... I'm a little burnt out on, like, the whole, we have to endlessly speculate about where it's going in the next 20 Marvel movies that are happening. But overall, I liked this episode quite a lot. I thought it, there were quite a few points that surprised me. Especially, you know, the end, which is the thing that I'm maybe, it's definitely the biggest thing that happened in this episode, but it's also the thing that I'm a little uneasy about. Because I think it's just a lot. It, the implications are vast of, you know, Quicksilver from the Fox Marvel Universe, the X-Men Universe, showing up at Wanda's door. Yeah, we're getting we're getting some wild <laughs> spaces here, and I'm kind of tempering my expectations a little bit on that. I don't know how it's really going to come together there. They're calling <laughs> they're calling Westview the Hex now, which I'm totally into. That is such a clever little thing. I'm, I'm about it. Totally. Darcy brings that in. She, you know, she's spreading that around. I love it. Well, this episode, it's the first one I also feel like has themes, which has been nice. Like, it's nice to have something <laughs> with, like, concrete ideas holding it up. And this episode was all about Wanda is so sure that she's in control of all the variables in Westview, and she keeps getting signs that she's not. Like, it opens with a pretty standard sitcom thing, like her kids won't go to sleep when she tells them to, but even when she uses her magic, they aren't under her control like the rest of the people in the town are. Vision is starting to suspect that something is amiss. She isn't able to stop the kids from aging up when they choose to. Like, slowly, more and more things are getting out of Wanda's control, and she's realizing that. And, I mean, I, I guess the implication here is being that she doesn't even realize that she has accidentally split open the multiverse. Yeah, there's definitely, there's a lot more of that stuff going on here. One other major thing that I'm noticing is that they are, they're not taking too much time to get into the weird. Uh, the neighbor Agnes comes over and instead of like having our usual like edit in the timeline or whatever, we see her once again, not really taking control of that moment like she usually does. She asks her, like, oh, should I take that again? You want me to hold your babies? This is whatever. This is all a play. This is stage play or whatever, television. And that's kind of, that's another moment, or I guess that's when Vision starts to see more of the cracks in the, in the universe there, too. Uh, Ricardo, I know you... I know you were talking about how you love the the creepiness of how we're going in here. What did you think of them really laying into it more this time around? I think and adding to that creep factor, like everything anyone says always has some kind of double meaning. So you kind of become paranoid watching. It's like, what did you mean by that? With every piece of dialogue that comes your way. Definitely true. I love it, man. Wanda is weekend at Bernie'sing vision. Yeah. Oh my God. The horror of that zombie vision is real. Oh, man. So, it is so messed yeah. up, and I love it. Yeah, for real. We get that awesome recording of her, like, storming a sword lab and taking Vision's remains. 
And then also we're seeing Wanda go a little bit more full villainy, which I know we mentioned last week, maybe she could potentially be the villain in Multiverse of Madness, although it seems like with uh, Monica Rambeau that they're kind of setting her up for a little bit of redemption arc and a little bit of a connection between those two characters, but I still think that is on the table, that Wanda's going down a path that we might have to see some bigger heroes step in to make sure it stops. They cross some kind of line because she, she comes out of her dome for the first yeah, time. Yeah, she, she comes out in full force, full Sokovian accent back in play, which I like that mm-hmm. they did that for her more evil showdown monologue. You know, with the coming of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, like right after WandaVision ends, maybe they will uh, sprinkle in some of those guys in there to, to pop their heads up. Yeah, that could be very interesting. We got the return of the ad this week, the Sinister ad, where it's a paper towel ad that's very clearly like you're wiping up blood. And it is that is so it's called Lagos, which is that where crossbones yeah, gets that's... blown up? Mm-hmm, that's the oh. Civil War thing where she threw him okay. in the I've only like, seen Civil War once, so I don't really... For when, you, for when you make a mess, even though you didn't mean to. Damn. Yeah, okay. I was, gonna, I, I was gonna ask, because I wasn't really picking that one up, but yeah, that's where... Isn't that also where all those Wakandan people get killed, and that's how Black Panther gets brought into play, is because of her... No, that's at the UN in Germany, I think. No, I think that's why yeah. they're at the UN in Germany is because they were like students from Wakanda were in oh, Lagos oh, and they right, got right, killed right. in this attack because of the Avengers. You're right. You're right. You know, Seamus, when I listen to your full sentence before I <laughs> formulate my response, it probably helps this show. Well, honestly, I don't I don't usually have smart things to say, but when I can remember dumb details from a Marvel movie that you don't even like, then then I'm your man. But yeah, okay, so that so that's an interesting callback and so we're not only seeing flashes of her trauma, which is what we've seen in, re- in recent ads. Like, the previous ads were Hydra and Stark talking about, like, the things that she has been traumatized by. But now we're seeing guilt creep in, which I think is a very interesting glimpse into her mind. Are you talking right about the super creepy... And hypocritical, like, you can't use magic to bring back dead people, children, as her zombie robot uh-huh. husband walks up. But I also mean, like, Lagos is a manifestation of her guilt, like, that she killed those people. Yeah, also very true. But yes, I think, yes, as her as her zombie husband uh, listens to her tell her fake children <laughs> that they can't bring back the dead. Yeah, what a weird, what a weird moment. Dead dog's there. coming back, though. Oh yeah, yeah, I think uh, so, definitely. I heard something about like Sparky is the name of Vision's dog in the comics. I guess. Oh, I didn't. So know. I'm sure they'll they'll have the some Tom fun with that. King Vision miniseries has a whole thing about you know dead dogs and leaves. Oh, and, you know, bringing dogs back through weird Vision technology. So. Oh my God! Maybe we'll get a Robo Dog. Robo dog, extra growing children, zombie husband, witch wife. What a family. Also, it's a real credit to Paul Bettany's acting, which he's gotten to do a lot more of this episode than he's gotten to do in the rest of the series. That even though we're in this stupid sitcom world and the stakes are so different, 
when he realizes that the dog is dead and comforts his boys, I, like, it, it, it touched me. Like, even though I shouldn't be touched because there was, like, not, you know, they're not real characters. But Paul Bettany just did such a good job at, like, this contemplative, somber dad comforting his children. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. Like, when he kind of, like, brings their heads into his, like, waist, it's just like a, yeah, just a somber, comforting hug. Uh, ba- uh, baby vision pictures. I'm throwing that out there. Oh, the one. Yeah. I was cackling. <laughs> it's so goofy to, because I also didn't recognize what theme song were they parodying for their '80s uh theme song. Because is it all in the family? Is a it show like, I never? I just watched? figured that's what all '80s TV sounded like. Because every episode they do like it, first it was the witch house, then it was the Brady Bunch house, now it's the all in the family house. You know. So, if they go forward again, is it going to be, like, Malcolm in the Middle? Well, I'm really hoping that when they do Full House... Hopefully, if they're doing Full House next week for 90 sitcoms, Elizabeth Olsen's older sisters were on Full House. Wait, really? As who? You want to... Mary-Kate and think? Ashley Olsen? Yeah. Oh, I'm so twins. stupid. I thought the Olsen twins were just the only children of that family. Those... So, I'm very curious to see how that kind of manifests next episode. Well, I'm excited to see what happens next. I really was engaged with Wanda and Vision's confrontation. I like the idea that Vision is, like, somehow a little... Like, I don't know if that's her consciousness fighting back, if that's her idea of what Vision, how Vision would react, or if she somehow brought Vision's consciousness back because of their connection through the Mind Stone. Oh, that's kind of what I was thinking, was that it was, like, actually him, but she's maybe, like kind of keeping the cork on the bottle a little bit like keeping that energy in whatever form he is and kind of keeping him reanimated but it could just be her own guilt coming back out again i'm i'm gonna say that the emergence of quicksilver here means that maybe they brought in dr strange already and they were like hey you gotta you gotta help us out and he's like whatever i'll just pull one of her brothers from the multiverse Maybe Evan Peters is going to have to get back to the X-Men world in Multiverse of Madness. Maybe he's the third sidekick. I really do, do, do not want to have to deal with all of the fallout of bringing in the stupid X-Men right now. Because, like... Because I just don't care. That changes the tone of Multiverse of Madness a lot if it's, like, wow, that's the bridge. sounds like you're, you're a mutant bigot, Garrett. There's a whole <laughs> series of movies on why that's wrong. You ever see an X-Men? Call me Peter Dinklage from whichever movie that was. Days of Future because, Past. Yeah. I, I'm on your side for the most part of, like, this could go so wrong. Let's see how it plays out. Maybe, maybe it's not even... The actual Quicksilver in any way, and it is a full manipulation. Maybe we're not quite bringing Maybe in the it's multiverse just some yet. Guy. Let me ask you boys one question, though. You didn't see that coming? <laughs> oh my god. That's what we in the biz call a callback. Now it's time to save the rec center where we give you our weekly recommendations. Ricardo, you got one? I guess I can just go off of the thing I watched on HBO Max recently. Uh, they put up the old Batman Brave and the Bold series on there. So I've been picking random episodes and watching them. And you know what? They they hold up. I like it if you're into that kind of Silver Age mood. A lot of the episodes surprisingly have an emotional core. I've got a lot, Batman-wise, to go get to on HBO Max. But I'll, I'll definitely add that Absolutely, to the list. Yeah, Garrett, what's your rec center this week? 
my rec center, I'm I'm gonna be that guy, Seamus. I cannot believe I'm about to say it. Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. Wow. We're a COD cast. A game <laughs> I was not excited for. I am not a big Call of Duty fan in general, but I do like zombies. I think that we've talked about that on the show before. I've got to say, I am really impressed with the way they're handling zombies in this new game. What they're bringing back, the new stuff they're bringing in. It's not all perfect, but it's a new, refreshing gaming experience. It doesn't feel too different. It still feels like zombies, but it also feels like they're not just recycling the same crap. But Seamus, I understand that you have a jumbo-sized rec center this week, so why don't you let us have it? Alright, boys. This is it. And I think that deep down in your hearts, you both knew that this was coming. And I'd like to get your thoughts on that after. Um, The Fifty Shades of Grey trilogy... Let's talk about it. Let's get into it here. I'm the <laughs> I'm the only one that's seen it, it out of the three of us, and this is the this is the final moment of <laughs> this punishment. But I think I have to rec center all three of them as a trilogy, just for for absolutely nothing more than to understand quite frankly the pop culture references that are are hidden within it it's it's a trilogy that's not very good as movies if i'm being honest it doesn't make a ton of sense character wise and the two leads i think actually hated each other when they were filming so you can really feel that on screen but as you can see over the last month over the last month i'm the only one that's been able to you know sneak them in there because you're the only one that's seen these that's movies that's why i have to recommend them ricardo or else no one else will Seamus, i am so impressed <laughs> thank you very much <laughs> every week you found a new more elegant way to both escalate <laughs> the inclusion of the 50 shades of gray franchise and completely surprise me I'm very, uh, I'm very happy that you did that for our friend Diego, who that was the last week that we're mentioning them per his win on Pop Quiz when he was on. Until five we inevitably ago. have to do them for this show, apparently. <laughs> yeah, apparently, right? And that that was actually, Garrett, thanks for teed me up. Uh, my second rec center there was, please check out our friend Diego Roman's podcast, live action remake it's a it's a weekly podcast about entertainment and movie news and our friend diego's thoughts on what's happening in the entertainment world and it's a lot of fun our boy ricardo has been on as a guest once that's one of my favorite episodes and uh if you don't get any of this go back and check out our uh what was it we can be heroes episode where we crossed over with him it was it was a lot of fun yep seamus that was podcast. Oh, old. thank you. I, I loved every I'm second. I'm a professional. Of it. What can I say? What a high note to go out on on this episode because that's it for this week. If you want to reach the show, you can tweet us at PCR underscore podcast. Find us on Instagram at that handle. Like us on Facebook. Leave us a review. Leave us a like on YouTube. Do all of those amazing things that we want you guys to do. You can email us at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. Plus, coming to YouTube soon enough, we've got that pop culture replay of Scott Pilgrim. So much stuff coming out the pipeline right now, guys. Really excited about it. Excited to see where WandaVision's going. Join us next week. Can't wait to see you. 